0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, it's been just a week since an anti-white racist massacred six people and injured dozens more at a Christmas parade. The media has already forgotten the attack, but we should not. We'll talk about that today. Also, the robbery and looting epidemic continues to grip our cities. There is a mostly unexplored similarity between all these incidents that we'll talk about today as well. And the dreaded Omicron variant has everyone in a panic, or at least we are told that we should panic over it. Is that reaction warranted? We'll discuss. Plus, Another white woman is caught pretending to be a minority and a GOP congresswoman makes an edgy joke about Ilhan Omar and then commits her real sin by apologizing for it. We'll talk about all that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, I'm not an expert in very many things, but one thing I know very well is sitting. I know how to... I spend a lot of time sitting. I know something about sitting. And one thing I know about sitting is that you want to make sure that your chair is very comfortable, which is why I am uh, always very grateful for my X chair which is what I'm sitting in every time I do this show. Uh, I love my X chair It's by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair I've ever used. And honestly, it's also probably the coolest looking piece of furniture that, uh, that I own and certainly that's in this studio. What makes X-Chair the world's greatest office chair? Well, maybe it's the patented dynamic variable lumbar support. Or the fact that you can add um, LMAX technology with four massage options and the ability to warm or cool your back at the same time. No, uh, no other office chair can do any of that. Now is the perfect time to purchase an X-Chair. Why now? Well, because now is the only time X-Chair goes on sale all year. That's right. Only on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, weekend is the X-chair on sale. So this is your time to buy it. You deserve an X-chair and uh, it's a lot more comfortable. You, you feel a lot better. It's better for your posture. It's better in every single way. So save up to $500 on X-chair four days only on Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. Go to XchairWalsh.com now. That's the letter X, chair, dot com right now. X-chair has a 30-day money-back guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $25 a month. Go to XchairWalsh.com. And save up to $500. Again, that's xchairwalsh.com. Before we get going today, I want to begin with a quick reminder that Daily Wire memberships are 50% off right now. This is the last day of the deal. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. And, uh, and I'll be honest with you. We, we need your support. We need your help. We, we aren't just making content at The Daily Wire. We're fighting. And uh, we need you to join us in the fight. We're going up against the Biden administration. We're turning the tide in elections. We're uncovering major scandals. We're doing all of that with the help of our subscribers who are very much a part of the team and a part of the special thing that we're building here at The Daily Wire. And that's why I'm calling on all of my sweet babies to become Daily Wire members. Also, we're creating culture. You know, we don't want to just comment on culture. We want to create it. And we are. But again, we can't do that without you. And as far as creating culture goes, I can tell you that I've been working on two projects. The first I'll announce tonight on Tucker Carlson. It's a book that I've been writing for many months. Um, I've been put my I've put my heart and soul into it. And I'm really excited to tell you about it on Tucker show tonight. It is, I believe, I think it's my magnum opus, really. The second project will be revealed within the next few months. I can't tell you anything about it, except that I'm, I'm literally traveling across the world for it, and it's something that will make, will make a lot of people very angry. The book I'll announce tonight will also make a lot of people very angry. But more importantly, I think both will have an impact on the culture. And there, these are the kinds of things we're only able to do with your support. It's an exciting time at the Daily Wire. We've got lots of things in the works that you aren't expecting and that uh, will take you by surprise. And if you want to be a part of all that, go to Daily Wire, use code DW50, get your 50% discount today. And again, make sure to tune in to uh, Tucker Carlson tonight. Now, uh, on to the show. The, uh, the Truman Show was one of the better films of the 90s. It was also, we know now, the second to last good movie that Jim Carrey would ever star in. That's not really relevant to our purposes today. What is relevant is a scene about halfway through the movie featuring Ed Harris's character Christoph, the director and creator of the giant reality show that Jim Carrey's Truman has unwittingly been living and starring in since birth. During an interview with some kind of news magazine show, Christoph is asked why Truman had never up until that point himself asked any questions about the nature of his world. How is it that he lived his whole adult life, never came to realize or even suspect that everything's fake? And all of his friends and family members are actors. Everything about his reality is engineered, manufactured. Kristoff answers quickly. He says, we accept the reality of the world with which we are presented. It's as simple as that. Perhaps one of the truest lines ever spoken in a Hollywood film. And we live in a reality that is nearly as contrived and concocted as the one that Truman inhabited. The only difference is that the guy walking past us in the street is not an actor. He's not an agent of this deception. He is one of the deceived, just like the rest of us or most of us. Also, Truman was filmed against his will or his knowledge. That's the case for us some of the time, no doubt. But we also choose to be on camera, some of us more than others, as you can see. But the main similarity is that like Truman, reality is presented to us. I think the wording there is important. Reality presented. We're not so much encountering reality or engaging with it, certainly not discovering it. We sit back passively and allow reality, whatever bits of it that our overlords deem appropriate for viewing, to be presented to us. Our reality is not so much staged like a television production as it is curated. We view reality mostly through screens. We look at screens more than we look at anything else. We look at screens more than we look at our children's faces. And inside those screens, we find a a version of the world that someone else, our Kristoff, and there are many of them, not just one, thinks we ought to be shown. It's not reality. It's reality as told by, as curated by CNN, Twitter, Mark Zuckerberg, corporate media, and so on. They are the directors of our own personal Truman Show. They present reality, and most people simply accept it as presented. And that's why, for example, on this Monday, November 29th, 2021, the major terrorist attack that occurred on on Sunday, November 21st, 2021, just a little over one week ago, has essentially been erased. As far as our reality curators are concerned, it, it never happened. Eight days ago may as well have been 8,000 years ago. Nine children are still in the hospital one child died in the intervening days, bringing the, the, the death total to uh, six to go along with the dozens of severe injuries. It was a horrific attack, a massacre. Little children and old ladies mowed down on the street while waving pom-poms and singing Christmas carols. One of the most grotesque and tragic and infuriating things you will ever see, and you can see it because it was all documented on multiple cameras from multiple angles. If the corporate media, media our curators were simply yet cynically interested in sensationalism and ratings and nothing more? That's all they cared about? This story would be one of the only things they talked about for weeks. But their cynicism is more insidious and more uh, surreptitious, I think, than that. Their goals are also quite a bit larger, grander. They want to create a certain kind of reality, a reality governed by their ideological and political needs. And this event, a jaw-dropping and certainly newsworthy event, does not fit into that picture. So it's been, in one week, erased completely. Yesterday, CNN issued what will likely be one of its last reports on the subject, and uh, it did it in a, in a highly curated way. Here's the headline. show will hold a moment of silence today, marking one week since a car drove through a city Christmas parade, killing six people and injuring scores of others. A car drove through the Christmas parade, Was it a Tesla self-driving car? Was it a car from a Pixar film with a mind of its own? Outside of those possibilities, cars don't drive. Saying a car drove through a parade is like a sports writer reporting that a bat hit a home run or a shoe kicked a field goal. In reality, the actual reality, not the curated kind, the car was being driven by a human being, and that human being has a name. He also has a very relevant history of violent crimes of all types, including sex crimes against children that somehow had not yet landed him behind bars for any significant stretch of time. And he had motivations. We may not know his specific motivations, mostly because we can only rely on the curators to tell us something like that unless we go to the prison and try to ask him ourselves. But we can take note of his BLM sympathies, his anti-white posts online, his open encouragement of violence against white people. And we could take all that and reasonably conclude that this was almost certainly an anti-white terrorist attack, a hate crime. That doesn't fit within the reality that our curators wish to present. And so the entire event is thrown into a giant hole and buried. Now, within a couple of days, um, they got us back on track. right? They got us back to talking about the kinds of things that they want us to talk about in our curated reality. Black-on-white crime essentially does not exist and is always justified whenever it does occur. Also, in this contrived version of the world, non-white victims are ignored for racist reasons. The very people who are ignoring the white victims in Waukesha, and indeed ignoring them because they are white, have now gotten back to insisting that only white victims get attention. A few days ago, The Daily Beast reported on an HBO documentary called Black and Missing, which argues that the media doesn't pay attention to stories about black missing persons. The Daily Beast tweeted, um, quote, Can you name five missing black women? Director Gita Gambier's latest documentary, HBO's Black and Missing, tackles this question and is unfortunately very timely, in large part because of the Gabby Petito case. Can you name five missing black women? Uh, no, I can't. But, um, of course, nobody can name five missing people of any color. Nobody can. I guarantee this right now. You cannot name five currently missing white women. Or even one currently missing white woman. You can't. The whole, the whole framing of this thing is completely ridiculous. Missing people go missing all of the time in this country unfortunately. It it, it can't all be national news. Almost none of it ever is. And that's why you can't name them off the top of your head. However, uh, somebody driving their car intentionally through a Christmas parade and murdering six people, including a child, that is or should be a major national event. And yet, you know who else nobody can name off the top of their heads? The victims in Waukesha. Their names, by the way, were Tamara Durand, Jane Coolidge, Leanna Owen, Virginia Sorensen, Wilhelm Hospital, and eight-year-old Jackson Sparks. They died terrible and painful deaths. And now the corporate media wants them to suffer a death of another kind by erasing their memories completely. And we shouldn't allow that to happen. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, we're finally in uh, what is actually the Advent season, not the Christmas season. The Christmas season will start on Christmas. But uh, as we get towards Christmas, you know, here, here's a gift that you can give yourself. Um, that is to become a Charity Mobile customer. Because when you're a Charity Mobile customer, you're getting a great service. You're also supporting a company that uh supports you and supports our fight in the culture charity mobile is the pro-life phone company they partner with you to automatically support the pro-life pro-family charity of your choice with five percent of your monthly plan price and they've sent millions of dollars to charities so far new activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and also you get a free christmas gift with every phone from charity mobile while supplies last um and charity mobile if you're worried about uh, switching from your old carrier to charity mobile they make it very easy to switch you can keep your existing phone number You may even be able to keep your existing phone, but if you need a new phone, there's no problem there. Charity Mobile has a variety of options from basic flip phones and low-cost smartphones to the latest 5G phones. They've also got my favorite, which is their um, new flip phone with parental controls that allows you to disable mobile uh data usage text and pixel messaging so you can you know make sure your kids have a phone where they can keep in touch with you but uh you don't have to worry about them you know accessing the internet and all the bad stuff that can happen there so switch to charity mobile and support the causes you care about call them at one eight seven seven four seven four three six six two or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention offer code walsh all right so so as we get back from thanksgiving hope you had a good thanksgiving i um and I hope you, had, you took time to give thanks to the men who conquered this beautiful land, because that's what Thanksgiving is really all about. Uh, and I also hope that you gorged yourself sinfully uh, as per tradition. You know, the first settlers to this land, they starved and suffered and died of dysentery and their teeth rotted out of their heads, and none of them lived past 42. And so we give thanks to them by eating more in a day than they ate in a year. So it's nice, I guess. In fact, we did, we, we put up on Daily Wire, a uh, YouTube channel, this a... Uh, uh, Thanksgiving trivia thing we did. And uh, according to that, the average American eats, what was it? 4,500 calories for dinner on Thanksgiving. Very, very impressive and disgusting. Um, but but it is nice. It's just, it's not so nice when you're married to a full-fledged uh, body shamer and uh, fat shamer. So the day after Thanksgiving and we were at my parents' house, um, I was collapsed on the bed, stomach distended, a lumpy, lazy disgusting sweaty mess and my wife came in and uh, she took a picture and she posted on the internet and you could see it, you could see the picture there i mean <laughs> absolutely pathetic i've got my shoes on on the bed and uh, it's shameful but even more shameful that my wife would post this this obscene content to the internet and you can tell i'm saying something i can't even speak i'm actually grunting they like, get out stop posted it put it right on the internet that is body shaming that's bullying. Fat shaming, everything. Um, all right, that's but that's really if you didn't if you don't look like that, can I just say if you don't look like that after Thanksgiving, you didn't do Thanksgiving right. Okay, can we just agree on that? All right, let's um, let's start here. We'll check in with uh, thanks with uh, with Los Angeles first of all. A couple of videos, uh, and we see these videos you know multiple times a week. First, here's one of an armed robbery armed robbery. This is a, a markedly casual armed robbery at a, uh, some kind of Buffalo wings joint in, uh, in Los Angeles. So you can see it here. Let's play this. And you can see the guys walk in and, uh, you know, now notice when they go up and they're going to, there's, there's two people sitting there eating and they go up and they, and a guy pulls his gun out. And the, the two victims, they don't even look all that surprised. They just kind of, they don't look very surprised. They don't look concerned. She just pulls her watch off, gives it to him. This is what it's like living in Los Angeles now. You just, you kind of expect it. Um, and then there was another, uh, here, here's a, 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 some gentleman raiding a woman's car. And uh, I think this is also in Los Angeles, of course. In the middle of the street. And he kind of dives in there. He's going all the way in there, taking his time. And he pulls, I think he pulls out some kind of luggage or something Then gets into his car. And he's, this is all on camera. You could even, you could see his, his license plate. He doesn't care because he knows he's not going to be prosecuted. And he, and he throws it in there and then he drives away. Uh, now, there are, there are multiple aspects of this problem that are not discussed in polite society. Um, one of them is the culture that leads to this you know, a culture in a state of decay because of fatherlessness, the collapse of the family um, in the city. Okay, well, what we discover, and that's really what it all boils down to. That's that's what lays at the bottom of all of this. We can talk about the, the policies and how in California they're not prosecuting these kinds of crimes and all of that stuff contributes to it. Okay, these but, but th- those are all branches that are growing from the tree. At the roots of the tree, is the collapse of the family. What we discovered, despite you know, BLM talking about wanting to you know, abolish the nuclear family, um, and this has been the left's goal for a long time, their stated goal, because the nuclear family is a patriarchal construct or whatever. But what we what we found is that they've they've actually done it. So this is not that's not a, a goal for the future or anything like that. They have actually they have succeeded in certain communities. Um, At a regional level, anyway, they've succeeded in abolishing the nuclear family. And now we get a look at what that, at the results of that. Do you end up with a um, utopia? No. And as the the nuclear family is patriarchal and it victimizes women, so you get rid of the nuclear family, do you end up in a situation where women are, uh, you know, are, are, are treated better? No, quite the opposite. Because one thing you notice, and we'll talk about some of, the, some of the, the similarities and some of the common threads that kind of where you can stitch all these events together. But one thing you notice is that very often the victims, as was the case in the first video they watched, and I believe the second, it, the victims are women very often. So you get rid of the, the nuclear family, which again, in the city, the nuclear family basically doesn't exist. At least 80% of kids being raised in the city don't have fathers in the home. And I'm guessing when you watch these videos it's like 100 percent of those people did not have fathers in the home and has this worked out well for women no it certainly has not um, so that's that's one aspect of the problem that, that we're not supposed to talk about is the uh, the collapse of the family and we're not supposed to talk about it for many many reasons uh, one is that as we've discussed the left hates the family to begin with but also because that puts the onus back on individuals and they don't they don't want to do that because the, then the, if, you're, if, you're, if, we're, if we're tying this back to the collapse of the family, then what we're really saying is that you know if you're a man and you create children and then choose to abandon them and not be there to raise them, then a lot of this is your fault. You are creating this problem. And if we want the problem to go away, if we want to address the problem, if we want to solve it, then that's going to require men... To make babies, and then stay and raise them, but that puts the the onus on the individual, and they don't want to do that because they want individuals to be helpless puppets, basically reaching out to the state, to the government, to solve the problem. Which, of course, the government can't do and won't do. Um, but here's another thing that you might notice in almost all these videos: uh, there's a there's a similarity in the apparel. You notice something? They're all wearing masks. In almost every video. Now, this, this is a little bit different. Maybe you find some differences in a place like San Francisco, where they don't even need to wear the mask, because they know that there's zero chance they'll be prosecuted. But if there's any chance of prosecution, um, and at least they still do, I, I guess, in theory, they still do a little bit of that in Los Angeles, in theory, then they're always wearing masks. So maybe you know, maybe we draw a connection there. Is it a coincidence that starting in about April of 2020, everybody was wearing masks everywhere? And then also around that time is when robbery, looting, and all of that ticked up. So we create a society where it's normal to wear masks everywhere. And now we also live in a society where shoplifting and looting and, uh, whatever they call flash mob robbery, the, the word they're using now, which is just, which, which is looting. Uh, we also live in a world where that's common along with the masks. Is it a coincidence? No, of course it's not. Um, because it used to be prior to everyone losing their minds and wearing masks everywhere. If you were sitting in a, you know, in a restaurant and somebody walks in with a mask on their face, you immediately know what they're trying to do. And that's not the case anymore. So you're, you're giving people anonymity and you're allowing them to blend in. Now, everybody that, uh, if you live in a place like California anyway, everybody that goes into a restaurant or goes into a store, or goes into a drugstore, I mean, they all look like like uh, stagecoach robbers, basically, with things around their faces. Um, but this is this is human nature, which is another thing the left doesn't understand and wants to essentially abolish is human nature, or at least our understanding of human nature, and part of human nature is that when you, uh, when you bring a bunch of people together and you make them anonymous, bad things happen because there's no accountability. People, as human beings, we need accountability. When you remove accountability, um, behavior deteriorates. That's we we see that we see that on the internet and we see it now in real life. All right. Uh, let's move on to this. This is pretty exciting. A, a new variant has just dropped. It's all the rage. All the kids are talking about it now. If you know, if you're getting infected with Delta, even Delta Plus, people kind of roll their eyes. It's aw- they're awkward about it. It's like if you invite your friends over to play Madden, but you have the Madden from uh, 2014 or something. It's not cool. The new joint is uh, Omicron, which it it sounds literally like something from Terminator, or maybe like one of those uh, one of the robot Megazords from Power Rangers. Um when, when all of the variants combine, they make Omicron. And um anyway, huge coincidence too. This new variant is announced and there's a big panic, and now there are travel restrictions, and they're talking about new lockdowns and so on. And they say that this variant infects young people specifically, and especially, anyway, not specifically, but especially. Well, that's, that's a coincidence because they just started also rolling out the vaccine for kids 5 to 11. So they start rolling out the, the vaccine for kids 5 to 11. And right at the same time, there's a new variant the media is telling us about where, wouldn't you know it, it, it especially infects young people. Huge, huge coincidence there. Funny how things work out. Anyway, while the media is, is telling us to panic over this, uh, here's what the doctors are actually saying about the new variant. This is first from The Telegraph. It says, the first South African doctor to alert the authorities about patients with the Omicron variant has told The Telegraph that the symptoms of the new variant are unusual but mild. Dr. Angelique uh, Cotizzi said that she was first alerted to the possibility of a new variant when patients in her busy private practice in the capital city started to uh, come in earlier this month with COVID-19 symptoms. That did not make immediate sense. But she says, in fact, we have an interview with her. We'll play the clip of her. She says that, that, yeah, it's apparently a new variant. It might be more transmissible than other variants. Might be. We don't actually know that. But it does appear to be very, very mild. Let's listen to her.
1: Looking at the mildness of the symptoms that we are seeing, currently there's no reason for panicking as we don't see severely ill patients. I also checked with the hospital, some of the hospitals in my area. And one of the biggest hospitals, they only have one patient currently that's COVID positive on a ventilator and they don't even know whether it's COVID, uh, you know, it's Delta or whether it is um, Omicron related. We acknowledge that it might change going forward. But the hype that's been created currently out there in the media and worldwide doesn't correlate with the clinical picture Um, and it doesn't warrant to just cut us off from any traveling and ban South Africa as if we are the villains in the whole process should not be like that
0: okay so it's a cold basically from what we can tell we're talking about according to this doctor and she's the one who alerted everybody to this thing Uh, it's, it's basically, it's basically a cult. Remember what we talked about at the beginning, curated reality in our, in our, in our own Truman show environment. Um, that part, what you just heard there, that doesn't make it into the picture because they want us to panic and they want us to be, uh, perpetually in a state of panic and fear over this. Now I'm I don't claim to be a public health expert. Then again, most of the people who claim to be public health experts don't appear to be experts about anything. So I guess I could, I could, you know, I could just as much sign myself up for that label as anybody else. And um, so, so I, I could be wrong about this, but maybe correct me if I'm wrong. But if there is a strain of COVID, which is significantly less severe than the other strains... Then wouldn't we want that strain to become the dominant strain? Wh- why? Why try to contain it? Now, Biden administration right now is shutting down travel from from Africa, from some African countries like South Africa and other countries. And uh, of course, he's uh, needless to say, when when Trump did something similar, he was called xenophobic and racist. Now Biden can do it, and and uh, and he's allowed to do that again. Curated reality. So that's he's allowed to do that, but. Um, Putting that aside for a second, putting aside the, the hypocrisy and the, the double standard, it, it would seem to me, you know, look, like sign me up from for Omicron, from what I'm being told. If I got to get one of them, I'd, I'll take that one. Wouldn't you want if there's a much if there's a much more mild version, even if it's more transmissible, it would seem like that would be the one you would want to be the dominant strain in the world. So are we are we trying to contain The the much more mild version, reportedly, in order to to stick with the more lethal varieties? Is that what's going on? doesn't make sense to me. Of course, it doesn't make sense to me as, number one, a rational, logical person, and also as someone who doesn't want people to die. And, uh, you know, who, who, who sees panic and fear. You know, I see all that as, I see all those as bad things. And so it doesn't make sense to me coming from that perspective. But that's not the perspective shared by many of our so-called public health experts. Um, COVID-19, as I've been saying, and I'm certainly not the only one that's been saying this, but even as a non-public health expert, it was pretty clear to me early on that this is endemic. It's going to be with us forever. It's never going away. We are never going to live in a truly post-COVID world. That is a a world where COVID basically doesn't exist. That's never going to happen, probably. Um, so you've got to learn to live your life with it. And if you're going to be scared into paralysis, into a state of paralysis and convinced to go run into your house and lock the door, hide under the bed. Every time the media starts talking about a new variant, well, then this, that's going to be your whole life. It's never going to stop. You're going to live your whole life this way. It's very clear. There are different strains. They're going to continue to be different strains. Um, and by the way, with the, with the creation of new strains, the vaccines probably are, you would think, maybe contributing to that. And it's also seasonal. So these things are going to ebb and flow. And there's always going to be a new panic as long as we, as long as we uh, respond to it the way the media wants us to. Speaking of uh, public health experts who don't appear to be experts in really anything, Fauci was on Face the Nation over the weekend And he's out now warning about the Omicron variant, and uh, you have to take him seriously, he says, because if you would disagree with him, if you criticize him, you're criticizing science. He says that directly. He also says a lot of other deranged stuff in this clip from Face the Nation. Uh, Really, Fauci himself, I think, his whole tenure, his whole being can be summed up in this, like, two-minute clip. So let's play this.
2: Why do you feel so strongly about that, about staying on the job when you become—I mean, you were personally, not just rhetorically, threatened— your security, your safety, your family. Yeah. H- how did you deal with that?
3: I dealt with it by focusing on what my job is. From the time that I went into medicine to the right now where I am at my age, my job has been totally focused on doing what I can with the talents and the influence I have to make scientific advances what to protect the health of the American public. Sci-
0: Pause So thing. anybody really who He's using the talents he has, which which are which I, I still have yet to notice any, to make scientific advancements. What what scientific advancements has 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 Tony Fauci made? Of course, there's no follow up because this is not a real ju- journalist. This is a reality curator. If she was a real journalist, she would say, "Well, well, that, well that's, that's big news. You made a scientific advancement. What was that?" No, it's a, he's a bureaucrat. He's a parasite. Bureaucrats don't advance anything. They don't discover anything. They don't do anything. He's been living off of the public teat for uh, 40 years or more. Never discovered anything. Never achieved anything of note. He has has, uh, been in a position of overseeing one public health crisis after another. He's been there to witness it and to profit off of it.
3: But I'm not aware of any scientific advancements. Okay, let's keep going public. So anybody who spends lies and threatens and all that theater that goes on with some of the investigations and the congressional committees and the Rand Pauls and all that other nonsense, that's noise, Margaret. That's noise. I know what my job is.
2: Senator Cruz told the attorney general you should be prosecuted.
3: Yeah. <laughs> i have to laugh at that. <laughs> I should be prosecuted. Yeah, I'm sure he does laugh what at that. What happened on January 6th,
2: Senator? Do you think we know you're that laughing this is about, you? You think this is about all very funny? making you a scapegoat to deflect of from President Trump? Of course.
3: You have to be asleep not to figure that one out.
2: Well, there are a lot of Republican senators uh, taking aim at this. I mean,
3: That's okay. I'm just going to do my job. And I'm going to be saving lives and they're going to be lying.
2: It oh, seems really? Okay, another pause it again real,
0: real quick. He's going to be saved. How many lives does he save? Which which lives were those that were saved because of because of Tony Fauci? Also, notice how and this has been a case all along, but now he's totally shameless and open about it. He's being openly political here to an extent that I don't think we've seen quite like this. Now now the, the he's dropped the guard, guard guard is down. The mask is off and everything um, in 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 many different ways. In fact, the mask is off. I mean the the, the actual medical mask. You notice how these two they're they're not really socially distanced. They're sitting right there. In this enclosed environment, they but they don't have masks on, um, and he's being openly political, calling out politicians, talking about January sixth, because he's a political animal. He's a bureaucrat. All right, let's let's
3: uh, finish this up.
2: It seems another layer of danger to play politics around matters of life and death. Right, exactly,
3: exactly, and to me, that's that's unbelievably bad because all I want to do is save people's lives. I mean, anybody who's looking (laughs) at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's gonna know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there, so it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. To oh, me, that's now. more dangerous than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me. Okay. And if you damage yep. science, right. you are doing so, something... So, you know, you, know, you, know, you know what's
0: dangerous? Um, dangerous is when a when a bureaucrat or really any human being, any person, presents themselves as the representative of si- I represent science. I'll tell you something right now. No real scientist would ever ever say anything like that. I represent science? Science is a process. Okay, science is not an institution. It's certainly not a person. Uh, It's not a religion. It's not an ideology. It's not a political party. Okay, it's it's not a superhero. It's not a god. Science is simply a process for understanding the physical world. That's all science is. It's a process for understanding the physical world. So Tony Fauci says that he represents, he is the representative on earth of, a, a, of the process of understanding the physical reality. That's what he's saying. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean The, the ego on this guy, but can we be surprised? He has been totally untouchable and unaccountable as a bureaucrat for decades. And this is the ego that he's developed. That's all you need to hear right there. As I said, Tony Fauci, his entire career, his tenure, everything about him summed up in that clip. He is a puerile, infantile, uh, egotistical, uh, narcissistic, political self-centered monster, really. I represent science. I I tell you, I mean, any any real, anyone who, forget about being a scientist, anyone who respects science, which, sure, I do. Science is important. It's important to have a process for understanding the physical world because it's it's important to understand the physical world. There are a lot of things about COVID that it's important to understand. Um, and that people like Fauci are, are are making sure we do not understand. In fact, so anyone who respects science should is it it, it just makes your it's nauseating to hear something like that. I represent science. My God, um, and uh, one other quick thing here on this on this, uh, Governor Kathy Hokule in in uh, New York. Has just announced this reading from the New York Post. It says Governor Kathy Hochul signed an executive order Friday to postpone elective hospital surgeries, something that hasn't been done since the worst of the initial coronavirus outbreak last year. Hochul said she made the move to deal with staffing shortages and boost bed capacity amid an anticipated spike. In new cases and the emergence of the new Omicron variant in South Africa. So, Kathy Hochul, the governor of uh, of New York, as you know, uh, as, as I've already done the "I told you so" thing, I don't need to do it again. Well, I'll do it one more time, I guess. Uh, ever people on the right celebrating when Governor Cuomo was was booted out of office, uh, and as I said, the person to replace him will will definitely be a lot worse than he was, because if she wasn't going to be worse, they never would have the left never would have went along with kicking him out of office in the first place. If there was a chance that he'd be replaced by some reasonably competent, even moderate person, no way they'd do it. But they knew they had someone waiting in the wings who would at least play the part of a left-wing um, tyrant more even more than, than Cuomo did. And that's exactly what's happened. So Kathy Hochul has suspended, signed an executive order Saying that if you live in New York, uh, according to her, you're not allowed to get a quote-unquote elective surgery because of the Omicron variant in South Africa, which is a cold. Some people in South Africa have a cold. And so that means that you can't bring your child to the hospital in New York to get a, to get a surgery, an el- a so-called elective surgery. By the way, an elective surgery, elective in this case, does not mean unimportant, uh, unnecessary cosmetic it doesn't mean any of those elective just means that you can you can schedule it ahead of time. that's basically what it means in, in practice most of the time. My point is that there are many elect so-called elective surgeries that are life-saving that are medically necessary and she's saying you can't get those and of course the my body my choice crowd has lined up to defend a governor's right to tell you, that you are not allowed to get a surgery in the state. This is also something, this principle is something to keep in mind, by the way, about uh, you know the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Because it was also announced today that the uh, the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, is going to be stepping down, apparently. I don't know why, but he's stepping down. I guess he's made all of his money, and he's tired of, of the, you know, he doesn't want to have to go testify in front of Congress anymore. And he's got multi-billions of dollars, so he'll just go off and, and do what he wants. Um, investing in crypto or whatever he wants to do. So he's stepping down. And this is another thing where I'm noticing s- some people on the right, on social media, on Twitter, kind of celebrating this, saying ding dong, the witch is dead, Jack Dorsey is gone. I, I, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a Governor Cuomo to Kathy Hochul type of situation. The person that replaces Jack Dorsey, I guarantee you, will be significantly worse than he was. The censorship on Twitter is about to get a lot worse, a lot worse. This is the principle with 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 institutions in our culture today. They never go right. Okay, they never they never trend to the right. It never happens. Uh, it you it, everything is always shifting left. And so when there's a turnover in management, when there's a turnover at the executive level, whether it's in government or in big tech or wherever. It's always going to be to the left. The transition is always going to be to the left. So happen in New York, and it's going to happen uh, on uh, Twitter as well. Okay, one other thing before we get to reading the comments. I got I to play this for you. Canada's official indigenous health expert, and that's a position that exists in Canada, apparently. Her name is Carrie Barosa, and she has always been very open about her Native American ancestry. Um, she wears, you know, Native American garb, and, and when she goes out, and she talks. She gives talks. She she identifies by uh, the name Chief Running Bear or something like that, and she talks a lot about the racism that she's experienced. So she's very open about it. In fact, here are some clips of her on uh, this is just a couple of clips. Here are, she's on some news programs, and then she also did a, t- a TED talk where she's talking about Indigenous issues. Let's watch that.
4: Unfortunately, uh, uh, many people that access health care feel stigmatized. They uh, will, might experience racism uh, or prejudice, and whether it's perceived or it's real, when you're experiencing it, it's very real.
1: Have you experienced it?
4: I, I have. I have experienced it. My great-grandmother was Clinkett. She married uh, an immigrant. They moved from uh, the far northern B.C. into Saskatchewan, and they had a family. Greetings. My name's Morning Star Bear. I'm just going to say it, I'm emotional, so. Uh, <laughs> I'm Bear Clan. I'm an Anishinaabe Métis from Treaty 4 territory, and I want to acknowledge the territory that I'm in, Treaty 6 territory, um, home to the Cree peoples and uh, uh, homeland of the Métis Nation. I also want to acknowledge my ancestors, who are clearly here with me, <laughs>
0: That's, uh, that's tough. You know, that she, wow. She's she's getting really, really emotional about her Native American ancestry. Uh, morning, sorry, not chief running bear. She's a a morning, morning, what was it? Morning star, (laughs) morning star bear. It's not funny. I mean, that's, that's her, that's her ancestral name. Who am I to make fun of, not make fun of it. Um, but now let's, let's get an update on this story. This is from the New York Post. It says a Canadian medical researcher who rose to become the nation's top voice on indigenous healthcare. Has been ousted from her government job and her university professorship after suspicious colleagues investigated her increasingly fanciful claims of Native American heritage and learned she was a fraud. Uh, so it turns out they did a uh, they they looked into this and they did a lot of research about it, and uh, it turns out that she does not she's not Native American. So she pulled an Elizabeth Warren, but unlike Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren got the exception and, uh, and she got the get out of jail free card. She got a, she, she got the get out of jail free card for her appropriation. And there's only one of them and she got it. So Carrie Barossa, Morningstar Bear, is not going to get it. It turns out they did, they traced her family tree. I don't know how exactly they did this. I don't know if they obtained a DNA sample against her will or something. They they took from a, a, you know, a drinking glass that she was drinking and took the DNA sample. I don't know what they did. But they traced her, her uh, family heritage and they discovered that she is really Uh, descended from immigrant farmers from Russia and Poland and Czechoslovakia. So, two things about this. One is, again, we have more proof that the mainstream narrative of systemic oppression is false. The the version of systemic oppression, the the narrative of, of systemic oppression that we get from the reality curators is completely false because if Native, if Indigenous people were persecuted, if they were oppressed, then, and you were not in the oppressed group, you in fact were in the, you were in the dominant group, allegedly, you would not pretend to be in the oppressed group because it would not benefit you. These people do this because they know it will benefit them and it does until until the ruse is discovered. But also, um, you would think if you're trying to score points off of the suffering of your ancestors, which you shouldn't be able to do. Okay. In a, in a, in a normal and a sane society, you wouldn't be able to do that. The fact that your ancestors suffered should, that shouldn't do anything for you because it's not your suffering. But if you were, if that's what this was about, then you would think that your ancestors being Polish farmers you wouldn't. Why not just go with that? Why not go with the truth? Polish farmers. I mean, these were probably people who lived pretty difficult lives. I don't know about you. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to trace. I wouldn't want to trade places with a Polish farmer from the 19th century. Uh, but they don't count. That's why, because their suffering doesn't count because they were basically white, and so uh, that's why that doesn't count. And then, but the second thing we, we we can take from this, or the question we can ask, I guess, is. Um, really more of a rhetorical question because I know the answer, but uh, of course, why, why can't she identify as a Native American? Why is this not a valid thing? She feels connected with Native American culture. She identifies with it. This is her truth. Um, she has transitioned. Okay. She's, she's living that truth. Doesn't harm anybody else. This is what we're always told about trans people, right? This is what we're always we're always told. Well, if somebody wants to live that way, it doesn't harm you. What difference does it make? If this is what they want to identify, why does it matter? Same thing should apply here. Only as I always say, even more so. You know, the the person claiming to be transracial or trans ethnic, their their claim is more credible is more defensible. It's still not credible and not defensible, but it's more credible and more defensible than the transgender claim. Because we know that races and ethnicities are, in fact, fluid. Okay, they they combine. I mean, culture is also very fluid. It changes over time. It has different influences and so on. You can actually be a mix of different races and different ethnicities. I mean, almost everybody is. Whereas with sex, that's not the case. You're either male or female. So you would think that this would be a perfectly valid thing that a person could do, uh, but, but they can't because it doesn't fit with the narrative. And I know that you know what you, another thing you hear from the right a lot is that this is part of the slippery slope. And so uh, right now we've got the transgender thing and, and eventually we'll be in a spot where uh, we're expected to accept transracial also. But no, because this is not, this is not a slippery slope situation. On the slippery slope, the idea is that the next thing is always more outrageous and more absurd and more grotesque, right? But transracial is actually farther up on on the slope because it's more, again, more defensible and more credible. We've, we we have leapfrogged over transracial. We're not doing that, you know. What the only problem with the slippery slope idea um, is that there's it it doesn't always follow a logical progression because it's not like we're sliding down this slope by happenstance we are being steered down it by cultural forces and so there are certain things that you would think would be part of the logical progression that they kind of steer around because they don't want to do that one the transracial thing we're not doing that All right, let's get now to our comment section daily
3: cancellations are the law.
0: As we get into the comments, good time to remind you that we uh, do now have a merchandise store at The Daily Wire. You go to dailywire.com, go to the uh, shop tab right there at the top, very easy to find. And then you can look at all the merchandise, but the first place you should go, of course, is to the, uh, it's to my store. And there's a lot of great stuff there, uh, a lot of great merch. My wife told me to stop calling it merch, so I said, okay, I'll call it swag now from now on. That's what I'll call it, even more annoying uh, a lot of great swag there. Someone pointed out that, and I think this is true, it's pretty great that um, you look at all the different merchandise stores on Daily Wire from, you know, the other the other personalities. And uh, they've all got books and, you know, like really serious things. And mine's just a meme store. That's all it is. Just a bunch of, it's just a bunch of memes about pandas and shopping carts. And as it should be, I suppose. All right, let's get uh, to some of the comments here. This is from... Time My Shoe says, Waukesha shows the perfect example of why guns are not the problem. You can't stop a suicidal madman who wants to hurt innocent people. Well, you're exactly right. The only qualm maybe here is that uh, I, I don't know if madman, he's a, a monster and a murderer. Uh, but, and I, and I know we say madman kind of colloquially, but you know, that kind of lets people off the hook the assumption that this person was insane and didn't know... didn't know if, he, if he's actually a madman, that means he didn't know what he was doing. Now, to my mind, that still means you, you need to send this person, you need to lock this person away for the rest of their lives, but you are taking some of the moral onus off of them. I don't think that's the case at all. I think he did this intentionally. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had reasons for doing it. It's just not, we're not being told any of that. But as far as the gun thing, yeah, you're exactly right. If somebody decides that they want to go out and kill people, there is no tool you can take away from them that will prevent them from carrying out the plan to kill people. It's just you can't do it. The reason why, you know, the, the vast majority of people on Earth have never killed anybody. and it, Luckily, right? Why haven't they killed anybody? Is it because they didn't have the means to do it? No, it's because the vast majority of people have never wanted to kill anybody. And that's why they haven't done it. Now, when you put it that way, it, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit less, it's kind of, it's not very reassuring because then what you're saying is what? The only thing stopping people from killing each other is that they don't want to? What you're saying is that the, the moment someone decides they want to, they're just going to go kill. Yeah, basically. Um, does that mean that we just have to accept that reality and do nothing to protect ourselves? No. What it means, though, is that laws put in place ahead of time to stop people from carrying out murders are most often not very effective. In order to protect yourself, you can't rely on the law. You have to to rely on yourself. Because when the guy comes with the gun or the car, whatever his tool of choice is, the law is not a physical barrier that's going to stop him. There are physical ways you can stop him, and that's one of those is to carry a gun. Um, Old Sloppy says, Dear Matt, love the show. Love the Sweet Baby Gang. Disappointed that there is no SBG onesie for babies. How is my seven-month-old daughter going to represent her favorite DW host? Missed opportunity. Well, the, uh, the store is by no means finished. Okay, I, I agree with you. We do need that too. We want to indoctrinate. This is a cult, of course, the Sweet Baby Gang. We want to indoctrinate people very, very young. Um, and uh, so we're going to make sure. We are going to get that. We're going to get a lot of stuff. But if you want to make sure that we get new merchandise to the shop, then the best thing you could do is, is buy the merchandise that's currently there. And then, uh, and then I can convince them to put more merchandise in. Um, let's see. Amelia says, I realize Matt doesn't care, but uh, broccoli has a chemical reaction to being cut as a defense mechanism. This makes it more bitter. His point on the lack of empathy for plants as we cut them actually is a fair point. Okay. uh, This is a comment from, we put up our, um, Thanksgiving video of, um, me responding to some "Am I the a-hole" quandaries from Reddit, and uh, yeah, there was there was someone who was a vegan on Thanksgiving, and like I, I made the point that you know if you're, look, you look, you eat plants. Plants are living creatures also that have their own hopes and dreams and 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 feelings, maybe. As Amelia points out, well, I didn't even know that. So when you eat broccoli, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm going to go with this because it works. It confirms my priors. When you eat broccoli, if you enjoy it, and I do enjoy broccoli, um, you are actually tasting the pain of that living creature. That's what you're enjoying, vegans. How do you feel now? Another reminder, as we talked about at the top, today is the last day to get 50% off your Daily Wire memberships. If you have not yet become a Daily Wire member, you're missing out on all the great stuff uh, that you get with a membership, like our brand new comedy series, Truth Yeller, hosted by comedian and podcaster Adam Carolla. In each episode of Truth Yeller, Adam invites his celebrity guests to join him for an evening of stand-up comedy, improv, and interview, all in front of a maskless live audience. But more than that, you're helping us build something important when you become a Daily Wire member. Your membership allowed us to help uh, Gina Carano, who was fired from Disney simply because they didn't like her political point of view. Now we're making a movie with Gina. It's coming out next year and it's going to be fantastic. Terror on the Prairie. I'm looking forward to that. I'm a big Western fan myself, so I couldn't be happier that we're making a Western. And then just as big, you're helping us fight the Biden administration's vaccine mandate all across the country. Um, So we need your help. Once more, use code DW50 for 50% off this Cyber Monday we really appreciate all that you do for us. You make all this possible. Keep making it possible. Become a member today. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code DW50 for 50% off your new Daily Wire membership. You won't regret it. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today, I'm afraid we have to cancel GOP Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Um, I was just giving Bobert props on this show a week or two ago after she stood up to the Democrats and their fake outrage over Paul Gosar's supposedly offensive anime meme. You may remember during the hearings to censor uh, Gosar, Bobert took the opportunity to stand on the House floor and remind the public that many Democrats had engaged in activities far more outrageous and dangerous than posting memes. She observed, uh, as she observed, Eric Swalwell, congressman and prominent public farter, was romantically involved with a Chinese spy named Fang Fang. That's just one example. And it was a good moment from Bobart. She she deserved credit for it. And I gave her credit. But now the tables have turned, unfortunately. The congresswoman was uh, herself the target of immense and immensely fake Democrat outrage late last week after a video went viral showing Bobart at an event in her district making an edgy joke about Ilhan Omar. Here it is.
5: Actually, I have an Ilhan story for you. So, So, uh, the other night on the house floor was not the, my first Jihad squad moment. Uh, so I was getting into an elevator with one of my staffers and he and I are, we're leaving the Capitol. We're going back to my office and we get in the elevator and I see a Capitol police officer running hurriedly to the elevator. I see fret all over his face and he's reaching and I'm like what? I can't, the door's shutting. Like I can't, I can't open it. Like what's happening? I looked to my left, and there she is, oh. Ilhan Omar. Oops. And I said, "Well, she doesn't have a backpack. We should be fine." Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we only had one floor to go, and I was like, ah, "Do I say it or not?" And looked Ew. over, and I said, "Oh, look! The Jihad Squad decided to show up for work today." Oh. <laughs> oh. Woo, woo. Don't worry, it's just her staffers on Twitter that talk for her. She She's not tough in person. She doesn't. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a little bit of interactions with these folks.
0: Well, that got about the reception you would expect uh, or should expect. The media, desperate to move on from sort of pretending to care about a terrorist attack at a Christmas parade that killed six people, had found the perfect diversion. After all, why should anyone worry about six dead people, including a child, when a liberal Muslim woman just got her feelings hurt? As we've learned, the feelings of a member of a victim class always outweigh even the physical suffering and death of a non-victim class person. Accordingly, the media and Democrat Party leapt into action, tissues in hand, tears streaming down their face, condemning the joke with righteous fury. Omar herself was in front of the line, ecstatic for the opportunity to be the lead victim in her party for a few days. She spoke out against Boebert with, with, uh, with what some might describe as explosive rage, tweeting, Saying I'm a suicide bomber is no laughing matter. GOP leader and Speaker Pelosi need to take appropriate action. Normalizing this bigotry not only endangers my life, but the lives of all Muslims. Anti-Muslim bigotry has no place in Congress. Endangers her life, yes. A joke endangers her life. She's lucky to, survive, to have survived the joke. Our hospitals and morgues are riddled with the bodies of joke victims. We can only thank God that she was not among them. Aside from Omar, many other Democrats joined the outrage circus, and as always, a parade of Republican patsies were willing to join in as well. Noted GOP gimp Asa Hutchinson was pulled out of his box in the basement and trotted in front of cameras on CNN to offer his own condemnations. Here's that.
4: House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy finally released a statement about this yesterday. He said he called Boebert, encouraged her to meet with Omar, but notably did not publicly condemn what she said. And he's actually never publicly condemned Congressman Paul Gosar for tweeting an animated video of himself killing a Democratic congresswoman. So, do you think McCarthy should be publicly condemning this kind of behavior?
0: I do, I think whenever, even in our own uh, caucus, our own members, if they go the wrong direction, I mean, it has to be uh, called out uh, it has to be uh, dealt with, uh, particularly whenever it is uh, breaching the civility, whenever it is crossing the line in terms of violence or, or or increasing the divide in our country. So one of the things that's really important to us in the future is increasing the civil debate uh, and civil discourse. And we've got to look for ways that we can bring people together and not divide, and certainly along racial lines. Well, at least they uh, let him take the ball gag out of his mouth first. And frankly, you have to give Hutchinson some credit. He's in favor of castrating little boys, so at least he was apparently willing to undergo the procedure himself first. Anyway, it only it only uh, took a couple of days of this kind of bad faith, phony, self righteous outrage for Boebert to make the catastrophic and yet totally routine mistake of publicly apologizing. On Friday, she released this statement. She says, "I apologize to anyone in the Muslim community I offended with my comment about Representative Omar. I've reached out to her office to speak with her directly." There are plenty of policy differences to focus on without this unnecessary distraction. No, no, no. I say again, no. It is a terrible idea to publicly apologize. It's always a terrible idea to publicly apologize. And let's review the reasons once more. First, whether you were wrong or right in your words or your actions, whether you were justified or unjustified, whether you acted appropriately or inappropriately, you should never apologize to the left-wing outrage mob ever under any circumstance. Like we just talked about. Remember that these people, all of them, were significantly more angry and upset over a joke about Ilhan Omar than they were about a bunch of elderly people and children being massacred by a BLM militant in Wisconsin. What does that tell you? It tells you that their outrage is fake, fraudulent, manipulative. The worst thing you can do with a manipulative person is to give them what they want. My kids know this. They know that if they want something from me and they try to manipulate me, as kids try to do sometimes, they won't get it. Even if I would have otherwise given it to them, even if there's nothing necessarily wrong with what they requested, if they try to manipulate to get it, if they lie, if they use any kind of emotional blackmail in their childlike way, they will not get what they want. Now, apply that standard on a larger scale. We live in a society overrun by manipulative, emotional, blackmailing phonies and liars who do not have the excuse of being seven years old. They should never get what they want. Your submission and humiliation and compliance is what fuels them. Your apology is like a slab of meat thrown to a pack of rabid dogs. It's not going to call them off. It won't make them go away. No lesson will be learned other than this tactic works. We should do it more often. So never apologize. Second, by apologizing, you admit guilt. You affirm the version of yourself that your critics have presented. This is a perfect example. So Bobert apologized to the Muslim community, which affirms and confirms that this was an anti-Muslim, quote-unquote, Islamophobic content comment, but it wasn't. Bober didn't say this about Omar because she's Muslim. She said it because Omar openly sympathizes with terrorists. She laughs about terror attacks. She downplays 9-11. By all appearances, she actually does seem to support terroristic violence carried out by Islamic fundamentalists. This is the impression that she has given us by her own words and her own behavior. That's where the joke comes from. That's why she deserves the joke. She brings it on herself. Not all Muslims support terrorism. This one does. So you let her off the hook by apologizing to the whole Muslim community. Third, if you're going to be in this game as a conservative, if you're going to have a platform and use it to say edgy things, then you need to be smart. You need to think one step ahead, at least one step ahead. So I have no problem with anybody on the right, whether they're in Congress or not, being provocative and offensive. How could I? I mean, look at me. But if you're going to go down that road, you need to be smart enough to know where it leads. If you're going to say the provocative thing, then you have to think about what the reaction will be and how you will respond to that reaction. Think about this ahead of time. This could have been a win for Boebert if she'd made the joke, waited for the totally predictable blowup, pun intended and then use that as a platform to call attention to Omar's own comments about terrorism and 9/11 and so forth. She could have said, "No, you know what? This, no no no, I'm not going to let her pawn this off on on Muslims. I didn't this wasn't about Muslims. This was here's what, you want to know why I said this? Here's why I said it. And I'll say it again. So you're using the, here's with the outrage, the advantage is that they're they are focusing the attention on you. They are they are they are increasing the visibility of your platform. So use that visibility for something. If, if you weren't planning on doing that, then why did you say the thing to begin with? See, that's the chess match. But you lose the match if you make one move and the other side makes their move and then you get up from the table screaming in fear. You have to know what they're going to do and what you're going to do in response to it. If you're just being provocative with no plan and nothing underneath it and without the spine to stick by your words and turn the outrage back against itself, then please do us a favor and keep it milk toast. Keep it safe and uncontroversial. The controversial stuff does no one any good if you aren't going to be both smart and firm when push comes to shove. And that is why I have to say, Lauren Boebert today, is canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Make sure to tune in to Tucker tonight. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodovsky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart, And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. The experts drop a new COVID variant. Ilhan Omar gets a Republican congressman to apologize over a joke. And Norway turns Santa gay.
3: Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.